During the season of Epiphany, Bill and I are preaching the sermon series, Help, Thanks, Wow, The Lord's Prayer for Our Times, inspired by the words of both Anne Lamott and Jesus of Nazareth. Today we reach the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The scripture to accompany us today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and, and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. And then he went out and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went to the Lord and shared all that had taken place. And then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Perhaps in your pandemic Netflix binging, you have caught an episode of the fantasy comedy series, The Good Place, which explores the idea of a divine point system where good deeds like picking up litter earn points towards your total and bad deeds like failing to put the grocery cart back into the corral subtract. Learning that no one has earned their way into the good place in millennia, the main character, Eleanor, and the architect, played by Ted Danson, go to the Divine Accounting Office, a team of three billion sitting in their celestial cubicles, cross-checking point values on an old mainframe computer. They argue with the head of accounting that something as simple as buying a grocery store tomato results in negative points because of the use of pesticides that harm the earth, the unfair labor practices that harm farm workers, and the shipping practices that contribute to climate change. This one episode cleverly reveals two important truths. One, that our efforts to try to imagine God's accounting system fall laughably short, 
And two, even the simplest of everyday decisions leave us, in accounting language, in the red. And so we come to the heart of the prayer Jesus taught us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Note, we do not pray if we have trespassed. This imperative petition assumes we are both individually and collectively in need of God's mercy. We begin in the red. Fortunately for us, Jesus' understanding of math and accounting often defies our human logic. And today I will propose three finance lessons inspired by Jesus' parable of the unforgiving sermon. Unforgiving servant. Lessons that might help us begin to scratch the surface of the complex topic of forgiveness. The first accounting lesson is this. Don't shortchange God. Did you notice the enormity of the debt that the Lord forgives? By some estimates, it is equivalent to 100 million days of the average laborer's work. No matter what the servant's credit rating might have been, there is no institution on earth that would have lent him that amount of money, let alone written it off. Which seems to be exactly the point Jesus is making. God's mercy is mathematically impossible to quantify. When we put our trust in God's abundant grace, trust that there is enough forgiveness for you and for me and for even those who have committed the most heinous transgressions, our smart young kindergartners often ask me, does God love bank robbers? Which thankfully seems to be the worst sort of villain they can imagine. And of course I say, God loves the person but not the crime. God must want them to apologize, to return the money, and not rob banks anymore, you and I can envision much worse transgressions. Can we imagine God forgiving those very same transgressions? Don't shortchange God. The second accounting lesson is that though God's grace and forgiveness is free and abundant, it is not cheap or easy Knowing God is capable of forgiving our greatest transgressions does not give us license to turn around and shake down the little guy like the unforgiving servant does in our parable. And though it is uncomfortable to read, it is reasonable to interpret in this parable that what really angers God is that when those who have experienced God's generosity turn around and mistreat the poor and the least. God's accounting system may not be what we imagine, but we are indeed accountable. Hence, the second part of the line in the Lord's Prayer, as we forgive those who trespass against us. The experience of God's forgiveness is one that we know not just in our heads, but feel in our hearts. The Christian word for this change of heart and mind is repentance. Will Willimon says it this way, the courage to forgive one another begins in the humility engendered by the realization that we have been forgiven. So every Sunday, the church reminds us that we gather as those who have been forgiven, for that is the way we plan to produce heroic souls who are able to forgive. Heroic forgiveness. 
We've heard examples of it, like Corey Ten Boom, who after preaching a sermon on forgiveness, comes face to face in the church entry with one of the SS guards that held her captive in Ravensbrück concentration camp. The guard shares with her that he's become a Christian and asked for Christ's forgiveness for his cruelty. He asks her for hers as well. And as images of what she endured as his captive flash through her mind, she says this prayer, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so she manages to offer her hand and is overwhelmed with Christ's power to forgive. Heroic forgiveness may arise out of the most challenging of situations, but it is never easy. If it were, there wouldn't be 20,000 books on forgiveness. I googled it. Again, grace and forgiveness are free, but not cheap or easy. Perhaps you are wondering about the title of this sermon, chosen because the Lord's Prayer happens to be in Luke chapter 11, the modern shorthand for corporate bankruptcy. Notice the plural pronouns in this line of prayer, us, our, and we. We are praying not only for our individual transgressions, but our communal ones. Chapter 13 is for individual bankruptcy. So the third financial lesson is this. Chapter 11 is a corporate reorganization of debt. Forgiveness is both at the center of the Lord's prayer and intimately connected with the third petition, thy kingdom come. A few weeks ago, Bill described the kingdom of God as an aspiration, not attainment. And the measure of our faithfulness as a church, as a community, and as a nation is whether we are converging ever closer or diverging further from God's reign. Today, I would add that receiving and offering and seeking forgiveness brings us closer to God's reign. I've been reading the book Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. She is an author, a botanist, and a master of prose. She is also a member of the Citizens Potawatomi Nation. She eloquently weaves the beauty and science of plants with the impacts of climate change and the history of Turtle Island or North America. She weaves them into a braid of stories meant to heal our relationship with the world. And in her story, I find connections with my own story that are both beautiful and challenging. You see, I am the daughter, the granddaughter, and the great-great-granddaughter of farmers and descendants of one of the original pioneer families whose names are listed on a stone marker in a county in northern Indiana. And so when Kimmerer talks about trees, my mind is taken home home to memories of driving with my grandfather to the vast edges of our farm to find trees that would have leaves for my school leaf collection assignment. I have long known that these woods and farm fields were once stewarded by the Potawatomi. I knew because my daily middle school bus ride took me just half a mile from home past another historical marker the start of the Trail of Death, which forcibly removed the Potawatomi from Indiana to Oklahoma in 1838. And through a chance conversation about braiding sweetgrass, I learned that a colleague had traveled to my tiny hometown and walked the trail. 
as part of a seminary class. And so I shared a bit of my story with him, and I asked about the land my family lives on. What do families like mine do to right the wrongs and ask forgiveness for the trespasses of nearly 200 years ago? It's the kind of question that emerges when we talk about the continuing impact of redlining that shapes our suburban neighborhoods and schools, the same kind of questions that museums and collectors face in returning Stradivarius violins and golden-hued Klimt paintings that were looted during World War II. How do we make amends? And perhaps I expected my friend to give me a simple answer to the land question, but instead I received a gift a Chapter 11-style reorganization of my understanding of debts, debts that threaten to bankrupt our collective soul. My friend said to me, maybe the starting place isn't what to do with the land. Maybe the starting place is in building and healing relationships. My colleague Amelia Richardson-Dress says this about the practice of forgiveness. It is rooted in our interconnectedness with God and one another, relationships and interconnectedness that can lead to such tremendous beauty and richness are also the sources of some of our deepest pain and struggle. And so we pray each week, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, or simply help, thanks, wow. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.